Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to ACF. Can we celebrate just being here today? Thanks for showing up. Thanks for coming out. If you're watching online, thanks for joining us there as well. Uh, my name is Mason Vinhouse. I'm the worship director here at ACF. I've been doing that for about eight years. And uh, every once in a while, they have me come up and, and share something. So today is one of those days. Um, we've been talking uh, through this series called God's Not Fair, right? And in the series, we're, we're looking at some different some concepts, some topics that are kind of hot topics in our culture right now, right? So we've been t- looking at, uh, you know, the concept of fairness. We looked at justice. Uh, Brian talked with us about this statement. We say around here, you don't have to believe to belong, right? Um, which may be very fair or unfair to you. People have different reactions to that statement. Last week, Josh talked about inclusivity and exclusivity, right? And how the gospel is both of these things, right? It's kind of a paradox. It, it grabs both of these things. And then today, here's where we're going. We are talking about equality. Equality, yes. And I don't know about you, but I've heard a lot about equality over the last few years, right? This, this is a, su- a subject of a lot of debate, a lot of discussion in our current climate, our current conversation. So we at ACF here, whenever we see that happening, we like to take that step back and say, hey, how do we as, as Christ followers speak into this conversation what does the Bible have to say about this topic? What does Jesus have to say about this? So that's where we're going with equality today. What is the biblical perspective on equality? And so as we get into that, I just want to confess something. I'm a bit of a contrarian, all right? I like to play devil's advocate. My dad, my dad always accuses me of this. I like to take out the minority position and just, just argue for the sake of arguing sometimes. So I'm, kinda, I'm gonna start with that today. Here's a controversial statement. It's probably gonna trigger everybody, so here's your trigger warning, all right? This is what I think. I think we are not all equal. Sorry. Sorry to what you may have heard in the Declaration of Independence. I disagree. I don't think we are all equal. So take that, Thomas Jefferson, all right? I think if you just, I think if you look around, though, at the humanity around you in the world, just for a second, I think you'll come around to my point of view. So let me make my case, all right? Let's take, uh, take this one. So some of us are just way smarter than others, right? Can we, can we agree to that? Like, uh, I'm not pointing any fingers about where you're at on that intelligence spectrum, okay, but some of us are just not that bright, okay? I think we can admit that today. So we're not equal in terms of intelligence, right? What about talent? So, some of us are just way more naturally talented than others, right? You probably have that friend, right, who can just do anything. I hate that guy. How does he do that? Like, he's just effortless. He can just pick up stuff and just run with it. Meanwhile, if you're like me, it feels like you have to work, like, your entire life at just one thing to kind of get it right, you know? So we're not, we're not equal, in terms of our talents, right, and abilities. Man, some people are way more athletic than other people. Have you seen the Olympics, right? Those people are different than you and me, okay? They're, they're better, all right? And so we're not equal in terms of athleticism, or even just like our health, man. Like some people are just, you know, physically healthy and fit, can do their lives, live pain-free. Some people just suffer from health issues, like their whole life. So we're not equal there either. This one's kind of fun. <laughs> some of us are just like better looking than others. Like some of us are, are less so. We'll, we'll just say that, okay? Again, I'm not, I'm not pointing any fingers. You can decide for yourself where you're at on that. But we're not equal in terms of attractiveness or beauty. Man, some of us are wealthy. Some of us are broke. Some of us come from great families. Some of us come from terrible families, right? Some of us have great friendships and relationships. Other, others of us are just lonely, our whole lives, it seems like. Some of us just, man, it just seems like we're, we're lucky. Like, we just go through life carefree. Things just go our way. Others of us, we feel cursed, right? Like, we never catch a break. So, no, I don't think we're equal. I don't think it's even close. In fact, I think inequality is the norm amongst human beings, not equality, right? 
So where does this idea come from? Why do we, why do we believe in equality? I, I can't find it when I, when I look out into the world, right? If you go looking for equality out there, I don't think you'll see it. You're not going to find it in a scientific experiment. You know, we just ran the data, right? I'm not seeing it when I look into the world. So why do we believe in this? Because I think you still believe in equality, don't you? I can tell. Like, you're, you're not buying it. You're not buying it. Like, despite everything I've said, you're like, okay, I get it, Mason, but like, somehow we're still equal, right? In some sense, we have to be equal, or we should be, right? And see, like, for us as Westerners, and especially as Americans, I think this is so, like, baked into our worldview and, like, our value system. We don't even question this anymore. Like, of course, we're all equal. We don't remember where this belief comes from or, or why we believe it anymore. We just accept this, right? I think this is actually one of the few things we still agree on as a society, right? Like liberal or conservative in the room, I think you believe in equality, right? You probably agree to the principle of equality, that yes, all people should be treated equally, should be considered equal, right? You probably believe that. And actually, I I think that's pretty cool because I too believe in equality, okay? Again, I was just playing devil's advocate there for a minute to make a point. And the point is this, equality is not a self-evident fact, Again, I know the Declaration says we hold these truths to be self-evident, but I disagree. Again, sorry, Thomas Jefferson, but I don't think this is obvious. I don't think equality is a very obvious fact. I don't see it when I look out into the world, but I believe in it. Nevertheless, I believe in it, but I believe in it for one reason, and one reason only, it's this. We are all equal because God says so. Because God says so. See, equality is a principle based on faith. We take it on faith. I'm sure many of you have heard this verse, right? Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Kind of sounds like what we're talking about, right? Haven't observed equality, haven't seen it, but man, like, we long for this thing, right? We aspire to it, we hope for it. And we're offended when we see inequality, right? Because it violates our sense of what should be. And so for me, my faith in equality is based on this, this deeper faith that I have in God. I wonder for you, what is your faith in equality based on? Why do you believe in it? See, I think with this word equality, we actually have a very cool opportunity as a church in this moment, right? This is one of those moments where the culture is, is obsessed with an idea, is passionately pursuing this thing uh, that I think at its roots is actually very biblical. Equality is a very biblical idea. And so we can come alongside the culture in this moment and say, yes, like equality is, is so important. This is so valuable. Let us explain where this comes from and give you a deeper foundation for this concept. I think we have this opportunity right now. That's kind of where I want to go today. I want to argue that the Bible is like the source, the origin of this idea of human equality. This is a legacy of the Judeo-Christian tradition. And if you don't believe in the Bible, you're not sure how much you trust it, that's, that's cool. We're glad you're hanging with us today. But I do want to challenge you a little bit. What, why do you believe in equality? What's your faith based on? Because I've heard some other theories about why we should maybe be considered equal apart from, you know, the biblical perspective, but I don't think they hold up as well, in my opinion. So where does God say that we're all equal? Where does he establish this? I think he sets it out right from the beginning. Genesis 1, he says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. So theologians call this the doctrine of the imago Dei, and that's just Latin for image of God, right? It's this idea that every human being carries the mark of our creator, right? Each one of you has the divine imprint on you. 
That's this idea. And nothing else in, in creation gets this, gets this description, right? None of the other animals, like ocean, mountains, no, just human beings. And see, this is where I think our equality comes from. It's not that we're all the same, it's that we have the same creator, right? He says we're made in his image, right? We have a common shared identity as his divine image bearers, right? This is what makes us equal. We're not equal in terms of our characteristics or circumstances, abilities, no. But this is how we are equal. We're equal in value, dignity, and worth. This is the kind of equality that the Bible is talking about, right? And this is probably the kind of equality you believe in, right? As I was deconstructing, you know, equality earlier, this is probably what you're trying to hold on to. Is like, no, we're equal in terms of we should all be treated the same way in, in terms of respect and value and worth. So that's what the Bible teaches about equality, I think. Not equality of circumstances or abilities, but equality based on our image of God, right? And so, by the way, this is why murder is wrong. I'm sure no one here is asking that question, right? Like, what's, what's the big fuss about a little murder? Like, you're not psychopaths. You're good people. But again, this is one of those questions it's worth thinking about. Why is this wrong? Why do we believe this? Well, according to the Bible, it's directly tied to the image of God that's upon us, right? It says this in Genesis, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. See, the text is saying there, look, human life is sacred. It has value, and it shouldn't be violated or harmed, you know, without just cause, because it's made in God's image. It's tying those two things together, the value and sacredness of human life with the image of God. And this is kind of how I make sense of this in my brain, is that, see, all of Scripture, all the Bible, is, it's arguing for and it's assuming a theistic worldview, right? What does that mean? It means we live in a deeply personal universe, it's saying at the center of everything, the one eternal reality is a person. It's this divine personality called God, all right? So he's the most important fact about the universe. He's the source of all value. He's the greatest good in the universe, all right? But then as we read in, in Genesis there, he creates these other little beings outside himself, these little creations, us, made in his image. So we're, we're not God, but we're, we're like God, right? We are like the most important thing in the universe. That's where we get our value from, so if we remove God from that picture, right, we take God out of that world picture, where does our value come from? Why do we matter? You know, we're kind of just animals amongst other animals in that scenario. Animals have no problem slaughtering each other if that's what they need to do. It gets, it gets worse, right? It's a little worse because we're kind of strange aliens in our own universe, right? If the universe is impersonal at its core, it's just kind of dead matter and energy, we're these weird creatures with our thoughts and our feelings and our personalities. We're like not at home in our own reality. So why would we have value in that picture? Why not murder one another, right? I think the best we could do is like a kind of a system of fair play or self-interest. Like, hey, I won't hurt you if you won't hurt me, right? Because I think we both don't want to die, okay? That's the best kind of ethic we can come up with. I think most, you know, secular ethical theories that don't assume God, that's about the best they can do, is I won't hurt you if you won't hurt me. What you're not going to get is like a transcendent basis for the sacredness of all human life. You're not going to get that apart from a belief in God. See, we're not just equal in value according to the Bible. We're all of tremendous value, right? It's not like, yes, you're all equally worthless. No, we are equally priceless. Jesus says it like this. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yeah, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. I love that it says, not one of them will fall. There's this focus on the individual, 
right? Like if God cares for the individual sparrow, how much, does he, how much more does he care for your individual human life? And, and Jesus himself actually turns out to be the fullest demonstration of how, God, how highly God values human life, right? Because what is the value of something? It's determined by how much someone is willing to pay for it, right? So what's the value of a human being? Well, we ask, how, what was God willing to pay for it? What was he willing to sacrifice for us? He was willing to give up his own son, right? An eternal member of the Trinity, part of his own being. He was willing to sacrifice that for you and I. So we just have tremendous value, guys. There's no higher price that could be paid. There's no higher value, right? So what's the price of a human being? What's the value? Look at the cross, right? Every human being is worth the death of God's own son. That's what he says. He says, you're worth this much to me, and I'm willing to pay it. He demonstrates that on the cross. And it's worth taking a second here to, like, realize how revolutionary and countercultural this idea is, like in the grand sweep of human history, right? Most human societies and cultures do not assume anything like this, right? Most cultures are perfectly fine saying, no, we're not all equal. Actually, some of us are better than others, right? We're more valuable because we're better, and we're going to use and abuse the less valuable people to prop ourselves up. This is a very standard way of running a human society, right? In essence, they say, you know, the weak should serve the strong. The poor should serve the rich. The slaves, the peasants, or the serfs, they should serve, you know, the aristocracy or the monarchy, right? This race should serve that race because they're better for some reason, right? This is a very normal thing in human history. I'll call this like the worldly system of inequality and, and domination of one group over another, right? Very standard if you look at human history. But what you can also start to see in that grand sweep of human history, right, is this seed of an idea, right? The seed of the idea of uh, the Imago Dei, right? This image of God placed on every human life and therefore the equality of all human life. You start to see that growing intention with this worldly system of inequality, right? And these things have been duking it out for a long time. They've been in tension for a long time. But I do see that image of God idea making headway. It's starting to undermine it. I think you see the conflict, you know, Right up into um, right into the foundation of our country, right, and through our history, like I said, you know, we have this doc- this document called the the Declaration of Independence, right? It really is an amazing document. I know I've talked some smack about it today, but listen to what it says: All men are created equal; that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Like I couldn't agree more with that. Well said, Thomas Jefferson. Well said, sir. To me, that's that idea of the image of God finally like breaking through into our laws, into our politics. It took hundreds and thousands of years, but it's making headway here, and we see this, this beautiful moment. It kind of breaks through. But at the same time, right, in our country, we had this awful system of slavery and racism at the very same moment, right? It's like we said, we're all equal, but some of us are still more equal than others, right? And so, unfortunately, you know, a lot of Christians bought into that, try to support slavery and justify it with the scriptures, and, you know, I can't get into all the historical details and arguments, but from where I'm sitting, those people weren't reading their Bibles closely enough, right? They weren't catching Scripture's vision of the immense value of each human life and the equality, therefore, of all human life. Thankfully, some other people were. Some other people were reading their Bibles closely. You know, if you read those early abolitionists, they were like Bible thumpers, man. I think we call them religious fundamentalists today. And, and they, they caught this vision, Scripture's vision of the image of God on everybody. And so they worked to overturn that system, but the conflict continues, Right? Sometimes violent conflict and has persisted, and we're still dealing with this today, right? It's been a hot topic, like I said, a lot of tension around the idea of equality, especially around racism. 
we're still asking the question, are we really all seen as equal? Are, being, are we being treated as equal, especially by our government, by our institutions? And I think it's a necessary conversation. It needs to be an ongoing conversation. But I do think it's worth pausing and celebrating how far this, this idea of equality has progressed, right? Again, this idea of the image of God has progressed to the point where, again, I think we all agree on it. We say, yes, in principle, we should all be treated equally. We disagree radically about what that looks like and maybe the best solutions to get there, but we're trying to create a world where equality does reign. You know, we have a lot of progress left to do, but I do think it's worth celebrating how far that idea of equality has gotten. To me, that's the evidence of just this image of God idea, and really this is the grace of God in our own history that we've been able to get this far. It's not the norm. It's not the norm in human history. But what do we do about inequality when we see it? What do we do about inequality? Well, Sunday school answer, Jesus, all right? You follow Jesus' example, and he actually gives us some pretty good directions on this. He says this in Matthew. But Jesus called them aside, them being his disciples, and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their superiors exercise authority over them. That's kind of that worldly system of dominance, right? It shall not be this way among you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus says, you know, what do we do about inequality? We flip it on its head, right? We take that power dynamic, we flip it right over, right? You're strong, cool, go serve the weak. You're powerful, great, go protect the powerless. You know, you're rich, go Give to the poor. You're first. Go be last. That's what Jesus says to do with inequality. The biblical way to deal with inequality is to leverage those for the sake of the kingdom. It's to sacrifice your advantage for the advantage of others, to give up your blessings to bless others. That's what we do about inequality. We're called to lead the way in this as Christians. And Jesus doesn't just teach this. He lives it out, right? His own life is an example of this. I did not come to be served, but to serve. His whole human existence illustrates this principle of giving up your advantage, giving up your blessings. It says this in Philippians. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So take that in for a moment. Like, Jesus is the one human being who is not equal, okay? He's far, far superior to us. It says he's equal with God himself, but he, he sacrificed that, right? He empties himself, the verse says, to come into the form of a human and to serve us. And this is the example he sets and what he calls us into. So if you have been blessed, it's only to be a blessing to others. Like, that's it, guys. It's not because you're more important, you're, not because you're better, not because you're more worthy. No, God just has some higher expectations of you. He's got higher responsibilities placed upon you. That's the reason you've been blessed. So if life's going well for you, like you're pretty fortunate and things are going great, that's, that's cool. But don't, be, don't get too comfortable there. Like be careful, all right? Don't get too satisfied. God may be calling you into more. That's why he's given you more. Jesus lays out this principle in Luke 12. He says, From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Or to quote Uncle Ben, with great power comes great responsibility. Had to throw that in there. It's a very biblical perspective. Thank you, Uncle Ben. And see, here's the thing. We're we're not getting rid of inequality. This isn't going 
away. We're never, we're never going to be able to flatten out everyone's circumstances, right, where each and every person gets the same things out of life. We're always going to have inequality. It's not like we're going to be able to go, okay, everyone's going to make $50,000 a year, all right, and then you're going to get assigned three and a half friends, only three and a half, no more, no less, okay? Every couple is going to get 2.1 children. We'll keep that fair, right? And then we'll dole out like seven grams of happiness every morning, and then we'll all be equal. Like, this is impossible, all right? There's always going to be some inequality. It's not possible. That's not how this world works. Also, I don't think it's that desirable. Like, who wants that kind of world? It sounds terrible. It sounds incredibly boring if my life is exactly like your life. So we're always going to have some inequality. And this is where sometimes the modern conversation around this gets off topic a bit or, or gets twisted, I would say, right? It, it stops talking about equality of value and we start talking about equality of circumstances or like sameness, sameness uh, in the name of equality, right? And I just don't think it's an attainable or desirable goal. There's this, there's this really heartbreaking, like tragic moment in the movie Enemy at the Gates. You guys ever seen this? It's an older one, but um, set in World War II, in Stalingrad, like the worst battle in human history, just unimaginable amounts of human suffering. And there's like this Soviet propaganda officer kind of is following in this movie. He's a character. If you know anything about Soviet and like communist ideology, right, equality is the thing, right? They're willing to sacrifice anything to get equality, especially around material goods, right? They're willing to give it all up to achieve equality. And he kind of hits this point where he just cracks at the end of the movie and he realizes they just, they've been chasing the wrong thing. He says this. I love this, this line. Man will always be man. There is no new man. We tried so hard to create a society that was equal, where there'd be nothing to envy your neighbor, but there's always something to envy. A smile, a friendship, something you don't have and want to appropriate. In this world, even a Soviet one, there will always be rich and poor. Rich in gifts, poor in gifts. Rich in love, poor in love. I think, that's, I think it's right on. It's a very biblical perspective. The Bible agrees we're, we're not getting rid of inequality. Jesus says in John 12, that, you know, the poor you will always have with you. This is tough to accept, right? So if, if God loves us all equally and we're all valuable to him, you know, why doesn't he bless us all equally? The scripture's pretty clear. God does not bless us all equally. This is a tough truth to accept, right? God's not fair like we have been saying. Why can't God bless us all equally? That you know, I think we, sometimes we want that, right? Instead of just equality of value, we'd like this equality of outcome or, or circumstances, right? I wouldn't have to deal with envy and resentment and comparison, jealousy, if we all just had the same amount of blessings, right? So I was chewing through this. You know, why does God allow inequality? Like, this is part of his universe. He, he allows us to exist. Why? So I came up with a few reasons. I came up with three. I'm sure there's more, but here's where I, what I got to. One is this. Inequality is the inevitable result of human freedom. Inequality is the result of human freedom. See, a lot of inequality is the result of our own choices, our unique choices in life. You know, for example, if, I, if you and I come into the same amount of money and I go invest in the stock market or something responsible, right, and, you know, you go blow it on a snow machine and it breaks down because that's what snow machines do, right? Like, we have inequality. I have more money than you now. I have invested and you didn't, and so there's inequality. A lot of the inequality we see in the world is because of this. And see, God has immense respect for human freedom, right? This is what gives us worth, part of what gives us worth as, as human beings, right? Is that we get to make choices and then we get to suffer or enjoy the consequences 
of those choices. Like, it gives us dignity and makes life um, interesting, I think, is our ability to choose. And so God has respect for this. He wants this in his universe. And so that's inevitably going to lead to some differences in outcome, right? So a lot of inequality is the, the result of human freedom, but, but not all of it, right? Not all of it. You can't, you know, the person born, born blind, you can't blame that on someone's choice, right? So why that kind of inequality? There's a lot of deeper inequalities that happen. So a few more reasons I thought of to address that. Uh, second is this. God is telling a story for his own glory, right? See, some of this is we're stuck in our, our limited human perspective, right? I'm just seeing me in my life and looking over here at this guy, and why does he have more than me or have it easier than me, right? Meanwhile, God is looking at this from his eternal you know, perspective, and he's telling this grand story, this grand narrative about cosmic redemption, right? He's bringing all things into reconciliation with himself. That's what he's about, and it's for his own glory. Remember, he's the most important fact in the universe. He's the greatest good, so this should be all for his glory. Things work better that way, right? So that's where his priorities are at. So he's got some different objectives and making sure everything's even Stephen between you and I. That's not his main mission or even one of his priorities at all. But what, we, what, what is cool here is that he gives us little parts to play. We all get roles to play in this grand narrative that he's telling. And so these are going to be different based on where he's at in the story, you know, wh- what things are going on, what he's trying to tell in that moment. And some of those roles are just going to be tougher than others, right? Jesus addresses a moment, kind of uh, the principle kind of like this um, in the Gospel of John. There's this moment he says this, um, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then Jesus heals this guy and um, you know, gives him his sight. It's a, it's a great moment. But sometimes asking whose fault it is is the wrong question, right? The right question is, what is God doing in this moment? What is the story he is telling in this moment? See, the disciples are looking for that fairness, right? They're looking for equality. This guy's born blind, not fair, right? So someone screwed up to make this happen. That would make it more fair, right? More just. Jesus kind of shuts down that whole line of thinking. says, no, actually this guy was born blind, lived his whole life blind for this moment where Jesus comes and heals him and brings glory to God. That's, that's his, the entire reasoning is what he presents. That's a tough role, guys. That's a tough role to play. I don't know if I would want that part to be that blind man. It's tough. But then I think about it a little bit more and this guy gets a whole like scene in John, in the, in the Bible, the greatest bestseller of all time. He gets to be part of this, this awesome moment in Jesus' ministry on earth. He's part of this grand, just epic story. Nothing in my life will ever be as important as this, you know? I don't think anything will be remembered that the way this moment is remembered. Like, what an honor, what a privilege to be a part of that story. When I think about it this way, I start to get kind of jealous of the guy, right? Like, I'm not going to be remembered like this. I think this is kind of where we need to go in our thinking when we, we do face those tough roles, those challenges in life, is that, yes, we need to ask the questions and, and struggle through, you know, why me, God? It's not fair. Like, we all have to go there. We have to work through that. But if we can start to move beyond that to this other perspective of, man, what is the story God is telling? And how can I partner with him to bring glory to his name in this moment? I know that's really it's easy for me to say and hard for you to live if you're in one of those tough roles. You know, you're going through the divorce. You're dealing with a, 
you know, the trauma, you've got the health issue. I know that's, that's really hard for you to live that out and easy for me to say, but I do think this is the healthiest and best way we can face these challenges in life. And there's, there's so many testimonies of Christians that have come before that are, have been able to do that, that have been able to do this and to live this out. So last reason I think God allows inequality is this. We've been unequally gifted for unique ministry opportunities. Right, some of us have different gifts because we've been called to different things. God has different purposes for us in mind. Paul has this uh, great analogy of, uh, you know, the church as a human body, right? Like each member of the church is a different member of the body, right, in his picture. So, you know, differently designed, different purposes, but all working together for one mission, for one purpose, right? So we reviewed this back in our series on 1 Corinthians over the summer, Hold Fast. But I want to review this section because this really illustrates what I'm trying to say. It says in 1 Corinthians, If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. See, we're not all equally gifted, but all our gifts are equally necessary. They're all necessary for completing the mission God has for us as a church, right? I, so I need you to live out your gifts to develop your calling, to develop your potential as, as best you can. I need you to do that. And you need me to do the same, right? You need me to lean into my gifts and my calling to develop my potential. We're, we're only going to get stronger as a church as we both encourage one another to do this. And it, it, it's not going to be the same, right? It's not going to be the same what your role looks like and what mine does, what my gifts and your gifts look like. It's going to be very different. That's okay. It's actually a beautiful thing. If we can learn to let go of that jealousy, the comparison, and the envy. Instead, we learn to celebrate everybody who is living into their unique callings, right? And then we go, likewise, we go live deeply into our calling as we see other people do that. And we can encourage and inspire one another to go after those unique gifts and unique callings in life. It's only going to make us uh, stronger as the church of Christ. So as we wrap up today, I want to give you just a few practical steps to put this these thoughts into action this week. I always want to give you these opportunities. So one is this. You can begin a relationship with Jesus. I always want to present this opportunity to you guys. You could get to know your creator, the one who made you in his image and says you are just of immense value. You can get to know that creator today. If you've never done that before, I just encourage you to take that step. Secondly, you could repent of envy. If you're realizing, yeah, man, jealousy comparison. That has a hold on my heart, on just my perspective in life, and I, I need to repent of that. That's, that's, that's me this, this week, and probably for a long time. I deal with a lot of envy in my life. I need to repent of that. Thirdly, you could develop your gifts in a practical way, right? Like, I, like we said, we need you to, to grow into your gifts and to develop your unique calling, right? Take a practical step in that. If you're an encourager, commit to sending a text to encourage somebody every day this week, to send out a text. If God has, you know, you feel like God's pulling you in a direction in life, like go take a class on that. Go do some research. Sign up for some training. But take a practical step to develop your gifts this week. Lastly, you could do this. You could use your blessings to bless others. 
Maybe you realize, like, on that inequality spectrum, right, you're kind of on the blessed side. You are the strong, the rich, the powerful. That's okay. Like, don't feel guilty. Don't feel bad. That's not my goal today. But my goal is to get you to ask the question, you know, what have I been blessed for, right? Why, why have I been entrusted so much? What is the calling? What is that responsibility God is placing on my life with these gifts? If you guys would, though, let's stand up together and we'll, we'll close out in prayer here. God, we just thank you for your incredible love that you would sacrifice so much to be reconciled to us, God. We're just, we're so unworthy, but God, we're so grateful. God, we thank you that you've made us in your image, God. Just the immense value you place on us, God. Again, we're, we're, we're so unworthy, but we're so grateful for that, God. And, and, and forgive us, God, where we, we have uh, devalued others around us, God, where we haven't seen the value you place on them. We have devalued the, the image of God you place in somebody else, God. Give us eyes to see others how you see them, God. Just the immense love and value you have on each and every person, God. Give us those eyes to see. And God, we just um, we pray for that person in the, in the room who is facing that tough role, God. You've given them a tough part to play in life at this moment. Uh, I pray you just encourage them and strengthen them, God. Um, I, I pray they can start to see your perspective again, God, just for the story you're telling, God, I pray that they could draw strength from that, from that greater vision of the story you're telling, God. I pray they could see that this morning. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come together to worship. I pray you be with us as, as we continue on. And we ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.